John chapter 11. And um, unlike uh, most weeks, we are not going to look at a specific verse um, or two or three verses, but we're going to look at the entire chapter of John 11. Because of that, it's a big chapter. Because of that, we're not going to read through the whole thing, but I'm going to walk through it. You'll follow as I tell the story. We will walk through the story of John chapter 11 and uh, seek what God's direction is for us as we listen to his word. Father, as we, uh, as we open your word today and we talk about this gospel and this chapter, and as we begin a journey over the next few weeks, I pray that you help me to stay out of the way and that your spirit would speak in how you would lead. And we ask it in your name. Amen. The journey towards Easter, as uh, Pastor Mike said, officially kicks off Wednesday when we begin the season of Lent. Very simply, Lent is just a, a big word for the 40-day journey with Jesus to the cross and then to the empty tomb. As, just as Advent was four weeks that we began to prepare our hearts for the coming of, of the Christ child, so these 40 days we began to reflect and focus on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and the events that would lead to the cross and, and to examine our own hearts and lives in the midst of this gift of God's Son. We begin this morning by following Jesus on the journey to Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John, Jesus performs seven miracles. It is the seventh. It is the miracle recorded in this Gospel, in this chapter, that seems to set everything in motion. We often think of, of Holy Week beginning on Palm Sunday and, uh, and, the, and the entrance into Jerusalem. And while that is certainly true, it is this event... It is this place, it is, it is recorded here in John chapter 11 that is the proverbial final straw that breaks the camel's back. It breaks the patience of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Lazarus, rising from the dead, kicks the plan into high gear. In this season, we're going to look at these different aspects of this journey towards Jerusalem. We're going to explore different eyewitnesses that were a part of this journey, and we start this morning with Lazarus. And simply put, Lazarus and Jesus are friends. John tells us that. We read that in other places. There are also the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. We know that, that even John reminds us they are friends. For, for in a little bit, when, when they are sent to go get Jesus because Lazarus is sick, one of the things they say is, it is your friend, Lazarus, who is sick. They, they send out from Bethany. The scene takes place in this community of Bethany. Bethany is spoken of in Scripture in, in numerous places. It's a village about two miles from Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. It is not inconceivable that the olive garden in Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives could have been owned by Lazarus and his family. But the important part for us to look at is that we are there. We are there with their family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Time and again, we hear of Jesus being at Bethany with this family. We hear of Jesus and Jesus and the disciples in their home. Their home seemed to be a safe place, a respite, a haven, a place that they could come and sit and relax with friends, a place to escape the crowds, a place that they could just get away and just let their hair down, so to speak, and, and away from the pace and all of the things of ministry. This was Jesus' close friend, Lazarus. And, and that's where the dilemma comes in. 
Jesus isn't in Bethany when we begin the story at the, at the Gospel. He's on the road again. He's preaching and teaching with the disciples. And, and, and this family, Jesus is such good friends with this family. When they sent a messenger out to Jesus to say, Lazarus, your friend, is sick and he is dying, they expected, they're good enough friends, they expected that Jesus would just stop everything he was doing and he would come. But he didn't. And the sisters were surprised and the disciples were surprised. Verse 6 and 7 says, after, after hearing uh, that Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go. The delay cost Lazarus his life. At least that's what Mary and Martha both thought. They said to Jesus, if you had just been here, if you had just been here, everything would have been okay. The anger of their grief led into their relationship with Jesus and that anger sometimes can bleed in for us as well. Even the crowds and the neighbors, they, they gave accusatory anger and, and grief. I mean, the, the sense of disappointment that they felt that this, this illness um, could, have, could have been uh, handled differently, that maybe he would have been healed. And, and even John writes that, that Jesus himself grieved over this and, and wept over this. And, and the crowd was, was noticing that, but they still made statements like, he healed the blind man. Why could he not save his friend? When confronted by Martha, Jesus said, Martha, your brother will live again. Now Martha thought that that meant uh, that in, in a generic kind of resurrection as all people who are people of faith. And, and she didn't get it. And so Jesus clarified it again. He narrowed the words down for her. He said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looked at her and he said, Do you believe this? And I think that Martha paused for a moment and she said something so filled with hope, so very bold, something that probably shocked the Sadducees and the Pharisees and some of the crowd that were there as well, she looked at Jesus in the eye and said, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. And Jesus, I think, looked back at her to decide, Does she really, really believe this? And convinced that she was, that she did, he said, Go get Mary, who is still at home. Mary came running. Mary had the same kind of greeting, the same kind of accusatory words. Jesus, if you had just been here, you could have saved him. He ignored those words for he knew they came from her grief and he also knew that his postponement brought great and deeper purpose. Instead of chiding Mary, he asked, where have you buried him? And she took him to the tomb. It shocked them all when Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, thinking that, that Jesus simply wanted to, to, to visit or to pay his respects to the body, Martha, the practical sister, she objected. She said, Lord, I don't think you, you understand this. Maybe you don't understand the timeline. He's been in there four days. Four days. His body is already starting to, to rot and to stink. And, and Jesus says, roll away the stone. And so they do. And the crowd was right. They began to grab their noses and their eyes watered and the whole nine yards. But Jesus doesn't go in. Jesus stands out and invites Lazarus to come out with him. It's not really an invitation. It's really, it was really more of a command. The, the kind of command that, that the Son of God in whom and through all things were made 
kind of makes with a shout that was loud enough to wake the dead. He, he yells, Lazarus, come out. And to everyone's amazement, he does. Jesus told them to remove the grave clothes and to set him free. There is so much in an entire chapter that we could talk about. But, but let me just talk about a couple of things. I think that the Gospel writer gives us some details because I think he wants to, to, to make a point. I think he wants us to understand some things and include them. First, Jesus didn't enter the tomb. He brought Lazarus back to life, asked him to come out, commanded him to come out. I think maybe one of the reasons for that is just to prove Jesus wasn't in there. There was no funny business. Nothing took place. And, and they saw everything that had happened. There was no parlor trick in the midst of this. And I also think it was the testimony for all those that were there to see that this man, this, this one, this son of God, this son of man, this word made flesh, when he spoke, the world changes. Second, the, the gospel writer seems to make a deal about the four days. The four days that his body is already in there and, and, and decomposing. And, and, and you wonder why he includes that. I, I think one of the reasons was that in the Jewish culture of that day, it was a very common belief that once someone died, they believed their soul or their spirit hung around for three days, hovered over the body for three days. So that in case the body would come back to life, the soul could be reunited. But it has been more than three days. It's been four days. Maybe you saw on the news this week. Most of you, if you watched the news, you saw it. Crazy story. 78-year-old guy in Mississippi. You see this story? They called the, the coroner to the house. They called the funeral home to the house. 10.30 at night, they called him dead. They put him in a body bag. Four hours later, 2.30 in the morning at the funeral home, all of a sudden the bag begins to move, scares the guys to death. They unzip it. He's alive. They take him to the hospital. As far as I know, he's there. He's there today. That's four hours. This has been four days. Four days. There was no chance. No one believed. No one believed at all. Lazarus was going to come out of the tomb. Now, I should just mention, this is kind of an aside here, but um, especially for the younger ones in the audience, with the popularity of the zombie and vampire uh, movies, I just want to let you know, Lazarus is not one of the undead. Lazarus came back to life in real life. He's not a comic book character. Lazarus is not the biblical Bill Murray on Groundhog Day who just began the day again. When Jesus approached the tomb and the stone was rolled away, in the words of those great, great theologians, the munchkins from the Wizard of Oz, Lazarus was morally, ethically, spiritually, physically, positively, absolutely, undeniably and reliably dead. He was not merely dead. He was most sincerely dead. I wasn't going to do it in character. But that, that's what rocked the Sadducees' world. That's what upset the Pharisees. So what is it? Why is it that they had their knickers in such a twist? Well, the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John is called the Book of Signs. The reason it's called that is because Jesus performs these, these seven miracles that, that reveal and prove who He truly is. These miracles in, in these first chapters of John, they fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 61. I don't know if you remember Isaiah 61. Remember the scene? It's recorded in Luke. <clears throat> it's recorded in Luke where Jesus has begun His ministry and He goes to His hometown 
and he goes into the synagogue and they invite him to read. And he goes over to the scrolls and he pulls out a scroll. The one he pulls out is Isaiah 61. And he begins to read it. Luke records it. It says, The Spirit of the Lord Jesus reading, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim and release the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And then Jesus said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I'm the guy. And they threw him out. You look at the first six signs recorded in the Gospel of John. Changing water to wine, healing the official son, healing the paralytic by the pool, feeding of the 5,000, walking on the water, healing of the man born blind. Now you look at Isaiah 61. Good news to the poor, healed, set the oppressed free, brought sight to the blind, and the list goes on and on and on until we get to number seven. And number seven is raising Lazarus from the dead. And that is the biggie. That is the culmination. This is the one that tips the scale for the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And then they began the conspiracy against Jesus. No sooner had Lazarus walked out of the tomb that they ran to the high priest to let him know what was going on. And John records this, this scene. You can just imagine them telling all the stories. And they say, what do we do? This man is performing these signs like we've never seen. If we don't stop this, everyone is going to believe in him. And John tells us in verse 53, it's from that moment, it's from that day on, they decide they're going to kill Jesus. His purpose was to show the biblical signs and miracles that he was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who came to remind them of the Father's love and grace and mercy. He came to bring forgiveness and redemption and life abundant and life eternal for all those who follow him. It is the good news of the healing of the poor and the lame, etc., that led directly to the conspiracy to kill Jesus. So John 11, there's a lot there. And you might ask yourself, which is a good question to ask, so what? What does that have to do with our life today? How, how does that fit who we are today? And, and what, how does it speak to us? Again, it's a whole chapter. I think we could spend weeks on that question. But, but let, me offer, let me offer just a few things. For starters, I think this passage challenges us to trust Jesus as much as Mary and Martha trusted in spite of their grief. When push came to shove, they had trust. They believed in Jesus. It may have been difficult. The grief may have been overwhelming. They may have even questioned why, but they never doubted who Jesus was. And he used it for the glory of God. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus asked them, and I think this is one of those places in Scripture that, that is not just asking them. I think this is one of those places in Scripture that Jesus is asking us, do you believe me? And how you answer that question has incredible implications on how we handle our life. Also, I think this passage shows the deep personal relationship that Jesus has 
with Lazarus. And I think it becomes this model, a model of the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. Not just a Sunday morning relationship, but a Bethany kind of relationship, a place of rest, a place of respite, a place in which you can find uh, healing for your soul, a place that you can let your hair down, so to speak, and just find grace and peace in serving him. And finally, I think this passage reminds us that this this journey over these next 40 days is a road trip, so to speak. Every, every road has its ups and downs, its twists and its turns. There are traffic jams caused by other uh, drivers. There are accidents caused by others. There are accidents caused by ourselves. There are busted fan belts and blown out tires and there's running out of gas and sometimes we stay longer than we expect and we need to, we need to change our plans, but we don't give up. We don't give up. We don't go home until we've reached our destination. And I think it's the same as the journey following Christ. There are going to be hiccups. There are going to be things that the plans don't always go the way that we think they will go. We, we will not always get the spiritual life perfect. But don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't think you can't go on. For the ultimate goal of this road trip is Easter and an empty tomb and new life. And don't forget these last few miles as we journey over these next weeks. The last few miles in Jerusalem on this trip will be difficult. We will confront denial, betrayal, brutality, fear, and injustice. Don't forget that the journey of Easter, to get to Easter, we have to go through the darkness of Jerusalem. To get to the empty tomb, we have to go through the tough place, the horror and the agony of the cross. You know, for all intents and purpose, I would guess that when the cross came along, the disciples thought everything was over. Just as Mary and Martha thought everything was over. But Jesus proved them all wrong. Easter proved them wrong. Easter changed that. Because no matter what the plot is, no matter what the problem is, we can trust the God of possibilities. There is no place that the road leads. There is no uh, place or how dark the path may get. The destination is resurrection, and he's with us every step of the way. As I read that passage, I think that maybe, maybe there are some here who can identify with Mary and Martha. That there is something in your life, there's a relationship, there's an event, there's a season, there is something in your life where you have been saying, but Jesus, if you just have been there, it'd be different. Why? Why do we have to go through this? Why? Why are we in the midst of this? Could we be reminded that even in the sisters' doubts, and I think it's okay to have those doubts, even in the sisters' doubts, they never lost faith in who Jesus is. Could we be reminded that sometimes the road is filled with betrayal and fear and injustice? But keep on the road. Because the road leads to resurrection and life. You know, just to be really transparent with you this morning, we have some things going on, we, about three events in our life, Jamie and I do, and, and by the way, we're fine. We love each other. It's not us. We have, we have like three events, at least, taking place in our life over the last weeks and months that, um, that one alone... One alone is gut-churning. One of them alone is enough to just... It gnaws at you. and gnaws at us. We've had three. And we're just kind of walking in the midst of 
of just some things that that are tough places that sometimes I, I say, Jesus, if you'd have been there. And you know what? I needed a passage like this this morning. I need a passage like this this morning so that I have an opportunity that Jesus gets to look in me as he looked at Martha and he gets to call my name and he says, Chad, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And I needed an opportunity to affirm and say, Oh, yes, I believe. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I don't know where this road will go, but I'll go with you. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's not just me. Maybe there's somebody else who needs an opportunity this morning that needs to hear the words of Jesus that looks you in the eye and says, I, I am the Son of the living God. I am life eternal. Do you believe me? Because if we answer that question, oh yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, it changes. It ought to change. How we live. It does not take away all the sorrow. It does not take away all the grief. But it reminds us that there is a God who holds us in the midst of it. And today we get the opportunity to just lock arms with him and say, I will journey wherever you will go. We will not get to Easter without a cross. We will not get to our final destiny without tough places. But he will go with us. Put your hand in the hand of Jesus and listen to his call in your life. Whether it be the tomb of sin that has you trapped or grief that has gripped your heart. He will bring healing and He will bring wholeness. Let Him be your respite. Let Him be the one who leads when you don't even know where to go. I am with you, He says, even to the end of the age. Stand with me, would you? Father, as we begin this journey to Jerusalem, we began in these days to think about the gift of your Son, Christ, at Easter. We want to begin this journey making some statements in our heart that in the midst of our circumstance, we believe you are the Son of the living God. That Jesus is exactly who he said he is, and that gift of Easter is exactly what promised it is. It is a life set so Lord as we head into this Easter time may we draw closer to you than we've ever been may we realign ourselves may we examine ourselves examine the trajectory of our own life line it up with the trajectory of your plan may we like Mary and Martha in the midst of our struggle still know exactly who you are and trust you and God I would imagine along the way there are some surprises for us. Ways that didn't seem redeemable and yet you did. Roads that seemed so dark we didn't know we'd find our way out and yet you've led us to the sunshine. We'll stick with you wherever you go till you lead us home. I pray your blessing on all those here today. May your grace and peace rest upon them. I pray safe journey in the midst of the storm as they drive home. 
And I pray as we journey, we draw close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you as you go.
something about my heart. It's been a lot of times gone by since I met you. And it's starting to harden up. You know, it's just kind of natural. I want to have baby skin, Lord. I want to have skin like a baby on my heart. It's starting to get old and wrinkled and pallid. It's not because anything I'm doing. It's because of a lot of things I'm not doing. stayed up till about two in the morning writing this song. sound 
death to give all the glory to you. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see.
remember me when the children leave their Sunday school with smiles.